Check. Sorry. Lord, we just thank you today that you are our Savior, that you're not just the Savior of the world, but you're our individual, personal Savior, that you were qualified to be Savior, that you fulfilled all righteousness to be Savior, that you shed your blood to be Savior, that you came as a man born of a virgin and walked this earth to be our Savior. I want you to personalize this message today because he is the Savior of the world, but he's your Savior. If he came in this room today and walked into this room, he could go up to every one of you and stand in front of you and say, I'm your Savior. I'm your Savior. I'm your Savior. He could go to everyone. He could walk these aisles and stand right in front of you and point at your chest and say, I'm your Savior. And this is where this all started for me. I was sitting out there during one of the shifts for the Norfolk Southern assistant stuff, and I just kept on getting Savior. Not the Savior, not He's your Savior, just Savior. Over and over, Savior, Savior. And as the people were walking in and out, and everybody had needs, and everybody was in different places, and a lot of people needed saved from their present situation. And God was making a connection with these people coming in and out that, that they need salvation. They need saved, not just from the present circumstances, but they need spiritual salvation. And this is where this all started, this idea of him being Savior. The word Savior actually means deliverer or preserver. I don't know about you, but I've been praying this prayer more and more often. Jesus I need you more now than I did 10 seconds ago. I need you more now. I don't, there's something about where we're at spiritually right now, the atmosphere spiritually, where I just keep leaning and leaning and leaning and leaning on him, leaning on him, leaning on him, knowing I cannot do this on my own strength. I cannot do this in and of myself. I need Savior. I need, I need, I need salvation. I need, I need this ongoing salvation. The Bible says to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And yes, you are saved, and He has saved you, and by His blood you're saved. But He also says, work out this salvation with fear and trembling. I don't know about you, but I've got a fear and a trembling on the inside of me. I've got a fear of God on the inside of me. I've got this on the inside of me that just makes me just lean on Him more and more and more and more every day. And part of it may be as you look across the world and you see what's going on in the news and you see what's going on in the different countries and these, these rumors of wars and things that are happening. And you look out and you say, man, what in the world is going on? And one of our responses is this world needs a savior. We need the savior. We need the savior. He's the deliverer and preserver. The love and compassion Jesus has towards us is immeasurable. I want you to get this in your heart today. I don't want this just to save your word, just to be a word. I've, you know, I've, I've, I've understood, I'm 52 now, and you know, I've been saved for 25 plus years, and I understand that he's my savior, but there's something about say law. It's something about think on these things. It's something about letting the word of God saturate your heart, and it's not just a word, but his love as savior can go deeper, and it can go deeper, and it can go deeper, and I hope today that it goes so deep into your heart, and one of the reasons why he wants it to go deep into your heart is because the deeper it goes into your heart, the more you can love somebody else. The more that you understand that he loved you when you were unlovable, that he actually saved you when you thought you were unsavable, the fact that he came in when you were ungodly and he came in as God, as the son of God and saved you. Now that we can look at the world and we can say, because he saved me, he can save them. 
but we need this to go deep in our hearts. We need this, this idea of Savior to go deep into our hearts. The love and compassion Jesus has towards us is immeasurable. It literally says that the thoughts he has towards you are like the sand on a seashore. Just think about all the beaches across the world and all the sand across the world. The thoughts that he has towards you is more than all that sand. Trillions of thoughts towards you. He suffered and died an excruciating death for us to be reconnected. Reconnected. And I've said this, I, I've probably said this last 10 times I've come up here, but these messages that, that have been coming lately, have, uh, they constantly go back to the garden. I'm constantly going back to the garden. And I don't know if it's just because that's the root of everything. I don't know if it's just because that's the beginning of everything. But God just keeps taking you back there over and over and over again. And God told Adam and Eve in the garden, don't eat the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or you will die. He gave them a law and he said, don't eat it. If the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And God cannot go back against his law. He can't give a law and say, you know what, time out. I know you screwed up. I know you screwed up. I know you screwed up. Let's rewind time and let's do this again. I'm going to give you a second chance at not taking the tree. That's not God. God's law, God's word is final. There's finality to it because he's God. He's not going to go back against his word. So they took this fruit. They took this seed. And I gave this message called the incorruptible seed. They took a seed that had corruption in it. And when they took the seed, it took, went inside of them and it caused corruption to break out. It was in the seed. It was the potential of the seed. The serpent came and said, eat this. Meanwhile, God says, don't eat it. And the serpent comes and says, eat it. Because God doesn't want to be, just doesn't want you to be like him. He comes with the lie every time. But they take this corruptible seed in and, 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 and breaks corruption into the garden. Through their disobedience, they took the corruptible seed and the whole human race fell into a curse. If you're in here today and you're saying, what is this life about? You're about to hear it. If you're in here today and you can't make tails, heads or tails of life, you're about to hear the word. And it will explain where we are. It will explain who you are. It will explain all of this. That's what the word does. So God told Eve in Genesis 3.15, remember they're cursed now. They're disconnected. They become orphans. They become orphans. He said, I will put enmity between you, the serpent, and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise or crush your head, and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will greatly, listen to these words now, I will greatly multiply your sorrow, multiply your sorrow, in your conception, in pain, you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of you were you were taken, for dust you are, and dust you shall return. If Jesus didn't do what he did, that is the end. We are all going back into the ground, and that's the end of it. But that's not the end of the story. 
that's not the end of the story. At this point, mankind needed a savior. They needed saved. It was irreversible. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. And everybody that isn't born again, everybody that isn't saved is in that state. And you wonder why people have no hope, why people are struggling, why people are wondering, why people are frustrated, why people are in depression, why people are in anxiety, because that's the state. Without Jesus, that is the state. No hope. No hope. So God banished Adam and Eve from the garden and placed cherubim and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the tree of life. You remember, there was all kinds of trees in this garden. And he said, don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you can eat any other tree, but do not eat that tree. This is interesting because it is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It is the tree represent, representing the law. Why is that important to understand? Because you are not going to enter heaven by being good. You're going to enter heaven by eating the tree of life. Do you get that? Remember, Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. Before any of this was ever created, before there was ever a star in the sky or a piece of grass coming up out of the soil or a tree or an animal. Before all of this, it says Jesus was crucified before the foundation of the world. Before there was in the beginning. God had the sacrifice ready. God always has a plan. God is not reactive, he is proactive. He always has a plan. He is not running around right now going, oh my goodness, I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. He knows exactly what's going on. And he has a plan. And that's why we can have this peace called the peace that surpasses all understanding because I know my papa has a plan. Listen, daddy has a plan. He's got a plan. So this flaming sword is guarding the tree of life. Just picture like a saber sword. Just There's this flaming sword guarding the tree of life. You know why? Because God says, if they fell into corruption and they go and eat that tree of life, they are going to live forever in corruption. That's why I know that tree of life was a type of Jesus. Because he said, if you eat of it and you're corrupt, you're going to live forever. The good news is now that we're into the period of grace, into the New Testament, now we can eat this tree of life every single minute of every single day, and it leads to incorruption. Because this body that is mortal is gonna put on immortality, and then's gonna, then is gonna be the saying that death is swallowed up in victory. Swallowed up, swallowed up. Dad has a plan. He had, to, he had to guard the way of the tree of life today. And he banished them from the garden. Now I want you to understand, when he, they got banished from the garden, in comes all the junk. In comes rejection. They just got kicked out of euphoria. They just got kicked out of the garden. And now they've been left to their own devices. And you know what happens? Adam and Eve start a family. And it is a dysfunctional family. And she gives birth to Cain. 
Cain ends up killing Abel. She gave birth to a murderer. Why? Because she was full of corruption. And when you're full of corruption, guess what? When you give birth to something, you are giving birth to corruption. So that is why when a woman gives birth, that child, its DNA, its bloodline is full of corruption. You do not have to teach a child how to be bad. When the child is left to its own devices, it will create all types of ways to be bad. It will create all types of ways to be selfish. So far, I have never seen a child that has been born pure and just raises up and is, never says a bad word, never is mean, never is cruel, never becomes a bully, never. Why? Because they've been born into corruption. There is a sin problem. It's a sin problem. Corruption. Adam and Eve start the first dysfunctional family. Eve gives birth to a murderer. Then it says in Genesis 6, 1, that man began to multiply on the face of the earth, and with this multiplication came an increase of wickedness until God had had enough. I want you to understand this idea of multiplication. Another one's born, and another child's born, and another child's born, and corruption, and corruption, and corruption, and the corruption begins to increase. It's one thing for 10 or 15 or 20 or 50 people or 100 people to be all messed up. It's another thing when you start to get into the hundreds of thousands. And now everybody's messed up. Everybody has been born into corruption. It's a disaster. And in Genesis 6, 5 through 8, this is what it says. Then the Lord saw the wickedness of man. It was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was evil continually. I want you to understand this. Think about how many different thoughts you have in a day. The earth got to a point it was so corrupt that everybody in every second of every day thought evil, 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 evil. They did not have a good thought. We have to understand why. Because of the seed, the potential of that corruptible seed. It literally became manifest, and there it was, the manifestation of evil all throughout the earth, all throughout the land. And then it says, and the Lord was sorry. I want you to understand this. God didn't look down and go, man, I did the wrong thing. That was not smart. No, 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 no. If you study that word, this, this is what it means. It actually means to have pity or be moved into compassion. So when he looked down and he saw that wickedness, he literally, it literally says he repented of it. And it doesn't mean that he thinks he did something wrong. It literally means that he had compassion on them. He had pity on them. He had mercy on him. You're already seeing signs of the Savior. And I know this is some of, some of this is hard to understand. It means to have pity or compassion that he made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I've created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping thing and birds of the air. For I'm sorry that I've made them both, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I want you to understand this. The flooding of the earth was because of God's compassion and God's mercy on mankind. I, I, I stand up here today and I'm saying that and still my brain is like, tilt but he is good and I know it appears sometimes that he's not but he's good he's interested in the finality of things he's not necessarily interested in what's happening right now you keep hearing this term over and over again facts don't care about your feelings you hear this over and over and over again facts don't care about your feelings facts don't care about your feelings 
God is more interested in your destination. He is more interested in where you end up than he is in this present moment where we're at emotionally. Does he care about us emotionally? Yeah, but he's not deterred by our emotions. You know, Moses goes, I can't talk, God. I can't talk. You're asking me to go and to talk to Pharaoh. You're asking me to release millions of people. I can't talk. I can't, da, 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 I can't talk. I can't talk, God. God's, you know, God says, you're going to go in there. You know, he, even has, he actually has a backup plan. He ends up sending Aaron in. But he's not deterred by our questioning of ourselves. He's got a plan and he's going to fulfill it. He's got, he's got a plan and he's going to get it done. He's going to get it done. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah builds the ark. The floods come. The whole time, everybody's mocking Noah, saying, Noah, it never, literally never rained on the earth. Here's this dude building this huge wooden ark. It has never rained before, and everybody's mocking him. And they're saying, everything's going on as it was, and everybody's eating, and everybody's drinking. Everybody's getting ma- and given a marriage. And Moses keeps... Or Noah keeps warning them, I'm warning them, I'm warning them about the flood to come. But nobody listens. So he builds the ark, the flood comes, and God starts over. <laughs> but eventually, <laughs> the, the, the ark lands on this place. Literally, the mountain in Hebrew is translated, the curse is reversed. <laughs> oh boy. The curse is reversed. It was another foreshadowing of getting into Christ, getting into Jesus, getting into the ark. Because the destination that you're going to land on is the curse is reversed. So the the boat lands. And I'd like to tell you that then euphoria broke out and everything was fine and dandy and nobody needed a savior. But it went back to where it was before. And corruption started again, and corruption started again, and it began to multiply again. And then they built this thing called the Tower of Babel. Brick by brick by brick, these people were like, you know what, we're going to build this tower so big, we're going to raise up, we're going to raise ourselves up into the heavens, and then you come back to the pride of Satan. So they have pride in their hearts, and we're going to build this huge tower, we're going to build this huge thing, and it's going to reach up to the heavens, and we're going to be just like God, and we're going to be God, and... God says, no, you're not. He looks down on them and he says, this people are speaking one language. And he said, there's going to be a point that they keep speaking one language that nothing is going to be impossible for them. And what's he do? He comes and he literally confuses all the languages. They're all speaking the same language. And he's like, nope, you're speaking this language. Nope, you're going to speak this language. Nope, you're going to speak this language. Nope, you're going to speak this language. And literally, they get scattered throughout the earth, and they all speak different languages because God is going to be God, and man will never be God. I've been getting revelation on this stuff having to do with artificial intelligence, AI, and man's thought that we're going to build something so big artificially, some type of artificial intelligence, and somehow it's going to reach up to God. But God is going to take the rattle out of the baby's hand. Listen, God has a point where things get too big for man's britches, and us like babies, he will come, and he will take that rattle right out of our hand. And he will say, no more, just like he did with the Tower of Babel. So if you get scared and worried about all this artificial intelligence, all this AI stuff that's going on, all this stuff that's being talked about, that it's all going to take over, nobody's going to take over except for Jesus. Nobody is going to take over except for God. I don't care how intelligent this thing thinks it is or how intelligent it ends up being, it's not more intelligent than Papa.
and he will sit up there and he will laugh and he will have the nations in derision. Just when we think we got everything figured out. So in the midst of the chaos, God begins to communicate his plan of salvation for mankind. Some scholars have found over 500 specific verses pointing to the coming of the Messiah that will make things right again. Prophecy after prophecy after prophecy, verse after verse, scripture after scripture. God begins to talk about this idea of this Messiah coming, about this Messiah coming, about this man-child coming that is literally God in the flesh. And he's going to turn it all around and he's going to reverse the curse. And these prophecies began, began to appear. And here's one of them, Isaiah 53, 1 through 12. Here's just one of them. Who has believed our report and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, speaking of Jesus, shall grow up before him as a tender plant. This is 700 years before the cross. This is 700 years, written 700 years before the cross. And as a root out of the dry ground, he has no form of comeliness. And we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and he's rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted by, with grief. Why is that important to understand? Because he doesn't want you living in sorrow. He doesn't want you living rejected. He doesn't want you living in a place where you're despised because he took all that junk on himself and conquered sin and death. So we don't have to walk in the junk. He's despised, rejected of man, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted 700 years before the cross. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned away every one of us to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I want you to get a grip on what this looks like. We are talking about billions and billions and billions and billions and billions of people and all the corruption, all the chaos and all the sin that's combined in all that and was laid on the Savior's back. And you wonder why in the garden of Gethsemane, he's there and he's sweating great drops of blood. Literally, there is so much pressure on him that blood is being slowly coming out of his forehead because of the pressure of the sin. He was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of peace was upon him, by stripes we're here, all we like sheep have gone astray. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he didn't open his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before his shearers, he was silent, so he didn't open his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and all who declare his generation, he will declare his generation. He was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken, and they made his grave with the wicked but with the rich, rich at his death because he had done no violence nor is any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you, make a, when you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. Listen, when he's getting kicked and he's getting spit upon and he's getting tortured, he's got the crown of thorns on his head. He thought of you because he wanted to see his seed. Look up the word seed. It literally says he thought about his offspring. He thought about us. He thought about his kids. He thought about his children. He took the torture and every single ounce of pain because he had every single one of us in this house on his mind. 
That's why when we're talking about he's your personal savior, personalize this thing. The Bible talks about this idea of, will somebody die for a righteous man? Yeah, every now and then. But nobody wants to die for an unrighteous person. We are those unrighteous people who he died for. That was our do-over. This is our do-over. We're going on a journey. He shall see his seed. He shall see the body of Christ. He shall see his body. He shall see his hands and his feet and his eyes and his ears and his mouth and his body walk in the face of the earth. He's going to see his seed. <laughs> he shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and he's going to look at it and he's going to be satisfied so everything that he took on the cross, there is not going to be one drop of blood lost. He is going to look at his finished work and all those who come to him, and he is going to be satisfied. There is not going to be anything within him that says, oh, shoot. Nope. He is going to be satisfied. In the completion of the words, it is finished, and his work is sealed. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors, seed, children, offspring, descendants. Then after 5,000 years after the fall, an angel came to see Gabriel. 5,000 years after the garden. I feel like this is a Christmas message. At the fallen angel named Gabriel sent from God to Mary. Can you imagine the hosts of heaven? Yeah, and God, listen, 5,000 years later and all this stuff has happened and Gabriel's hanging out in heaven and God's like, it is time. He tells Gabriel, it is time. And he opens the door to Gabriel to come to earth. He says, go on, Gabriel. Go on, Gabriel. Go on, angel of God. Go on, angel of God. Go tell him what's about to come. Go tell him. Go tell him, Gabriel. I want you to put yourself in heaven at that point. And you're surrounded by all this happening around you. And here goes Gabriel. And the door opens for Gabriel. Gabriel's like, I, I, th I think Gabriel had some type of swag walking down. Walking down, coming down to earth, saying, Let, let's, let's, get, let's get this. Let's do this. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice highly, favor one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, Consider what manner of Greeting this was, then the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. He will be great. His name will be called the son of the highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Welcome to the kingdom of God. This is the winning kingdom. This is the kingdom that will not end. Then Mary said to the angel, how can this be since I don't know a man? 
And the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. She had to be a virgin because the incorruptible seed, God took the incorruptible seed and said, here Mary, overshadows Mary. The seed ends up in her womb. She gives birth to the Son of God who is sinless and pure and has no corruption. Why? Because of the seed. It was incorruptible. Incorruptible. He will be great. I don't know a man. The Holy Spirit said, I'm overshadowing you. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For God, nothing will be impossible. Then Mary said, behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Let it be. Oh, man. You want to talk about a pinnacle. You want to talk about a turning of a page. When Mary says, let it be done according to your word, everything gets turned upside down. It's the same thing Jesus said in the garden. Jesus said in the garden, not my will, but yours be done. Every time we say, not my will, but yours be done, stuff happens. Stuff happens. Doors are swung wide open. When we say those words, let it be according to my word, and the angel departed from her. Luke 2, 8. Here comes another angel. This angel isn't named. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. I want you to imagine what's going on here. The shepherds are just hanging out, and they're doing their daily monotonous stuff. In comes this angel, and the glory of God just begins to surround them, begins to surround every one of them. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. It's the second time. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people, for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, a Savior, a Savior, who is Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in a swathing cloth lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with an angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest in all earth, peace, goodwill towards men. They were throwing a party. They knew the Savior of the world. They had been waiting and waiting and waiting. And the heavenly host had been waiting and waiting and waiting and doing their job. And here comes the announcement. And they throw a party. It literally says the heavenly host threw a party because the Savior was about to be born. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and honor earth, goodwill toward me. So it was when the angel had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. They see the fulfillment of it. Now when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which had told them concerning the child and all those who heard it marveled at the things which were told by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Do you wonder, after they go back and they're hanging out in the fields, do you wonder, you ever been through stuff in your life and you're like, was that just a dream? Like, did that actually just happen? Yeah, it happened. It actually, it actually did happen. And we go now to Jesus on the cross. 
we're getting somewhere. Matthew 27 says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness all over the land. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, 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 lama sabachthani. This is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He said the word so you would never, ever, ever be forsaken. So when he's looking at us and saying, I'm never going to leave you or forsake you, it's because Jesus was forsaken. You want, you want, write something on your notes. Hell equals the absence of God. Hell equals being forsaken by God. When you take God out of the picture, it is the worst torment. Torment upon torment upon torment upon torment because all that you're dealing with at that point is death and sin and the grave. And Jesus, when he said, why have you forsaken me? He meant it. He meant it. That there had to be a period in time where he was forsaken so that you would never be. And I cannot overemphasize, I know the cross was torturous, but that moment when he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? Well, that torture is far beyond anything he had to go through physically. That sense of being disconnected so you could be connected, he had to be disconnected so you could be connected. He had to bear your sin so you could walk in sinlessness. He had to bear your griefs and bear your sin, all of those things, so that we could walk in freedom. He had to conquer sin and death so that it wouldn't conquer us, for us to be more than conquerors. Why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood there when they heard that said, this man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink. The rest said, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit understand that he yielded up his spirit. He did. Nobody took anything from Jesus. Jesus, in a, in a, in a second, could have called a thousand angels to come save him. Uh, he didn't do it because of you and for me. For me. Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Then, behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth quaked, the rocks were split, the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming up out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. After he was crucified, that veil, which is a type of separating you from heaven, separating you from the Father, it was cut from top to bottom, and now access has been made to the Father, and as this is happening, people are dead in the grave for who knows how long, and they come up, and they come up digging up through the dirt, they come up digging up through the dirt, and they get up, and they take their clothes, and they just go walking into the city, and everybody's like, isn't that Larry? Wasn't that Becky? Wasn't that Judy? Wasn't that Tim? Like, what? They were dead. They were dead, and they're up, and now they're walking into the city. It's just a foreshadowing. Ah! It's just a foreshadowing of the resurrection of the dead on the grand scale. And just that little bit of anointing, just that little bit of glory, just that little bit came on that place and these graves started rumbling and shaking and up came the dead. So when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that had happened, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the Son of God. All of a sudden, they realized what happened. They realized what was done. The veil was torn in two, and Jesus, as the Savior of the world, provides access for you and I to experience salvation. 
He had to be forsaken for us to be saved. He had to die in our place for us to be delivered. He had to, to conquer sin and death for us to be more than conquerors. He had to come as a human just like you and I to reverse the curse. He is the qualified Savior, fulfilled all righteousness to take his rightful place on the throne. And now we are seated with him in heavenly places. <laughs> and then Pentecost comes. <laughs> he breathes on him because he says, go up, wait, wait up in this upper room. Oh boy. 120 of them go up into this upper room. And it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The fulfillment comes, the manifestation of thousands and thousands of years of messianic scriptures and that the spirit of God was going to be poured out on the earth and your sons and your daughters were going to prophesy and your maidservants. Listen, here's the fulfillment of it. The fulfillment comes. The fulfillment comes. The spirit of God comes in like a wind and fills every one of them. And it started. It starts. The church starts. That is the birth of the church. The church has its beginning. The church starts. Devil couldn't stop it. And listen, every time they tried to throw Jesus off a cliff, every time they tried to kill him, every time they tried to do this before his time, I just imagine when he was being, you know, they're trying to throw him off the cliff, how Jesus was just like, hey, you know, and get, you know, and, and, and gets out from under. What? It wasn't time. If he gets thrown off the cliff, we are sitting here in desperation and in our own sin. He didn't get thrown off a cliff, he yielded up his spirit. He yielded up himself. He did it voluntarily. He literally didn't even speak a word against them. You and I would be probably fighting and screaming and mad and frustrated and saying, this isn't the will of God. This isn't the will of God. It's going off me. But he did it silent as a lamb is led to slaughter. And Pentecost comes. Uh, and then Peter in Acts 2, filled with the Spirit of God, filled with the Spirit of God, Peter standing with the eleven raised his voice and said to them men of Judea he's talking to all of them all who dwell in Jerusalem because they were wondering what was going on this was not done in a corner this was done in front of hundreds and hundreds of people this day of Pentecost came there was there was stuff happening that directed their attention men of Judea and, and who dwell in Jerusalem let this be known to you and heed my words for these are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day but this they were so messed up they thought they were drunk and this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Young men shall see visions. Old men shall dream dreams. And all my maidservants, and all my maidservants, men servants, maidservants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 3,000 souls were saved that day by Peter going out onto the ledge in front of everybody and opening up his mouth and the anointing, anointed words of God came out and everybody said, how can I be saved? 3,000, 3,000 in a day. And then you got this guy named Nicodemus and this is where we're ending. John 3, 
There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night. He came to Jesus by, don't miss these things, he came to Jesus by night because he wasn't about to do it during the day. He was coming, he was sneaking in there. He came to him by night and said to him, Rabbi, comes up to him, picture it. We know that you're the teacher from God. You've come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with them. Jesus answered to him, said to him, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What does that mean to be born again? You were born once with corruptible seed. When you're born again through the scripture, through the word of God, you are born into incorruption. You are born with the incorruptible seed. You've been born once. He wants you to be born twice. He wants you to be born again if you're not. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. We're finishing here. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. There's a fleshly seed and there's a spiritual seed. There's a fleshly seed and there's a spiritual seed. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you still don't know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and we testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you don't believe them, how am I supposed to tell you spiritual or heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of God be lifted up on that cross that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life, everlasting life endless life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but that through the world that he might be saved but that the world through him might be saved everybody can stand that in a nutshell is the gospel story and when you read it and you hear it and see, it makes absolute sense. And prayer people, if you want to come up. And if you do not know him in today, know him here today, I, I welcome you to come up as the prayer people come up. And maybe you're here today and you actually have the sense that he's pulling and tugging on you. Do you know that he says he will leave the 99 to go after the one? He'll leave with the whole 99 to go search after you. He is coming after you violently. He is coming after you, searching for you. He's coming after you. He's coming after you. And if you feel that tug on your heart, I want you to come up here today. If you feel that tug on your heart, I want you to come up today. Come up to these prayer people today. It's not a coincidence that you have that tug on your heart. It's not a coincidence that you've noticed things in the past few weeks. You've just had this desire. You start, you're like, oh, I think I need to go to church. Oh, I think I need to get closer to God. It is the Holy Spirit that works in you that is saying, come closer to God. It is the Holy Spirit that is in you that is saying, come to this Father. Come to Jesus. And it's the Holy Spirit that is saying that to you. It's not the devil. The devil's not calling you to church. The devil's not telling you to get closer to God. The devil's not telling you to worship and pray. That's God working in your heart. That's God working in you to do his will, to do his will.
Listen, God's going to be saving people left and right. I want you to get ready because God is going to be saving people left and right. So this is a house that is going to be a house of salvation, a house of salvation, a house where people hear the word and they come. God's going to sweep this earth before the end is the end. God is going to sweep over this earth and he's going to get everything that he died for. He's going to look and he's going to be satisfied. He, God, God's going to look down and he, Jesus is going to say, I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied. My labor was not in vain. The veil was torn in two. Lord, we thank you right now in this house, right now, right now, that this is an open heaven in this house. Lord, we pray for healings to break out. We pray for salvations to, bre to break out. Thank you, Jesus. We just pray right now. Thank you for moving. Thank you for moving in this house today, Lord. Thank you for moving. Thank you that you have a house full of lively stones and not dead stones. We thank you that you are a lively stone in this house today, that you are a lively stone, that you are not dead, that you've been born again, that you've been brought back from death to life. Lord, we, we, we pray a, a covering over this weekend, Lord. This, this would be even a weekend that we would see salvations, weekend that we would see healings, weekends that we, that we see miracles, we'd see your spirit break out in a new and a fresh way. Lord, that people would come in and it would be undeniable who you are as you have commissioned this church to be able to cry out and say, this is your God. This is your God. And we proclaim today, this is your God. And we pray all this and we seal this in the name of Jesus. Everybody says, amen.